This is episode 370 of the 200 Churches podcast. I don't have this down perfectly. Sometimes I get like, oh man, like I can't all get all this done. Because where I am, I get up early as well. What I, where I am right now is I can't go late in the evening. I'm 67. I'm just, I'm not a night person. I tell our board meeting, we do meet at night, that my brain turns off at about, about eight. And I just become a pumpkin. <laughs> but I try to stop, pretty much stop five to 5.30. And when I stop at five five thirty, I've already done my exercise. That's important. I've already had my quiet time and my mindfulness practice. And I feel like I've accomplished what I need to accomplish. So that's probably one of the biggest things that's helped me. And sometimes you just have to say no to things. And it's hard to do. Say no. Welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast, where we produce a legit episode of ministry encouragement for pastors of small churches. Now, here are two guys who have been encouraging thousands of pastors all around the world, good friends, pastors, and podcast partners, Jeff and Johnny. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Jeff Cady. I am here in the digital, on the digital, or in the digital sound studio with my good friend, podcast partner, fellow pastor, Johnny Craig, in, on, around, and through. We're every uh, preposition that you could throw at the digital studio, man. I but love it. we're sitting at our desks. We're formal yes, today. That's a very bland way to say it. But yeah, we're sitting at our desks, Jeff. Yes, we're in work mode. And <laughs> hey, we've got a guest joining us today from London, Ontario. And for those of you who aren't familiar with that, that would be Canada. The second most famous London, I think, in the world. <laughs> it could be. It could be. Charles Stone, introduce yourself to our listeners for the very first time. This is exciting. And and tell us something about London that we don't know. Well, hello, everybody listening in. It's great to be with Jeff and Johnny. London, Ontario, uh, something interesting is that many of the streets are actually named for streets in the big London. And I actually had a... Uh, coach I was working with in London and uh, she actually forgot that I was in another London across, <laughs> across the pond <laughs> so yeah, it's very it's a really neat city about 500,000 uh, you know it gets cold get, get some snow but a really really good place to live I tell people I'm a minute away from Walmart and a minute away from cornfields you sounds like Iowa yeah, just Cold, about really. Snow, Walmart, <laughs> cornfields. Yeah, we're we're in Iowa. You're in London. Sounds like the same place. <laughs> Charles, where did you grow up in the, in the states? Well, I was born in Atlanta, and my parents um, lived there a while. We went to um, the northern part, to Michigan of the, of the states. But mostly, I've lived in the South, in Birmingham, and lived in on the Atlanta area with the school there. Went to Georgia Tech, and then moved to Texas, go to seminary, served there in Oklahoma, uh, served out west in California for a few years, Chicago, before landing here about eight years ago. Well, you are getting your just desserts, Mister. In in London, you're getting the kind of weather you've always deserved for being in all those warm places for so long. Yes. My wife's Mrs. from Mississippi, and she's spending some time there now. And she says, "Oh, do I miss this weather?" <laughs> I live I live the furthest south I've ever lived, living here in the Des Moines area uh-huh. uh, of Iowa. I've never lived further south. So, Charles. Um, you sent us an email a while back. We were kind of on hiatus, and we returned because I looked at your website, 
And you got a lot of stuff about brain and neurological issues as they relate to leadership. And you've done, uh, you've done quite a bit of training uh, in that area, you know, post-grad. So uh, tell, us, tell us what you're doing right now w- when it comes to pastors and ministries. Sure. Well, first of all, I love pastors. I've been one for 40-plus years. And uh, with COVID, ministry was tough already. You know, we're called and we, we love doing it, but it was tough already. COVID just added that new new layer of uncertainty, the new layer of uh, stress, uh, created more division, I think, in the church we've seen in a while. So what I'm actually doing now, I've written some books, but I'm working on my PhD. And my focus is on stress in the ministry. A lot of that uh, involves what's going on in the brain, the stress response, all those kinds of things. So uh, my cur- this current project, because I love to learn, that's why I'm getting a PhD now, I hope to bring from that research some very practical tools that are research-based, not just like something somebody made up, but research-based that could really help us pastors manage the complexity of ministry, and also manage those uncertain and oftentimes unpleasant experiences that have it, that we experience in ministry. So that's really kind of my, my current project in addition to being full-time pastor. So Charles, what got you back into the academic game? Yeah. I mean, you had, didn't you have a, a, a D-min like yep. 20-something years ago? Yep. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so at what point, like what was it that pushed you into, into further education? Yeah. Well, it all began in a high chair over 30 years ago. This is really the story that has really propelled my passion to intersect scriptural, spiritual truth with what we know about the brain. But over 30 years ago, we were in Mississippi visiting Cheryl's parents. We had three preschoolers. Our youngest, Tiffany, was a year old. It was Christmas Day. And I had high chair duty. If you have kids, you know what that means. Like, okay, you got to feed your, your child. So I was feeding Tiffany Puree, I don't know, peaches or kumquats or something like that. And as I lifted the spoon up to her mouth, I noticed her left eye was quivering. Now, mm. you guys got kids. If you see something like that, this is going to like raise, uh, raise your anxiety level, which it did. This was not normal. Well, down the street was a pediatrician. And we called him, you know, kind of in an anxious state, said, can we come by and can you take a look at Tiffany? He said, sure. So we went down there, looked at her, and he said, you know, that's probably a strabismus, which is basically a developmental thing. So when you get back to Atlanta, we were living in Atlanta at the time, probably see a specialist. Well, a few days later, got back to Atlanta, saw a specialist, neurologist. He looked at her and said, ah, she probably has a strabismus, but let's just take a CAT scan just in case. A few days later, went to the hospital, took a CAT scan, uh, drove back. And just as I was opening our little rental home, I was a church planter then, just literally as I opened the door, the phone was ringing. So I ran into the kitchen, picked it up, and it was a neurologist. I thought, that's kind of odd. They don't call that quickly. He says, Mr. Stone, we found out what the issue was. I said, okay. He says, uh, your daughter has a lesion on her brain. Now, I thought a lesion was like, you know, a sore. You scratch your knee, you put medicine on, it goes away. That's what yeah. I thought. But then he said something that forever changed our lives and propelled me into this whole neuroscience field. He said, your daughter has a brain tumor. Oh, wow. She was a year old. Now, fast forward again. She's 35 now. She's had some 10 brain surgeries. 
two of them were by Dr. Ben Carson. Uh, he ran for president a few years ago, a real strong Christian. She's had all kinds of experimental treatment, uh, but she's really, really doing well now. So during that time, we lived in this neuroscience world, some of the best hospitals literally in the world from California, mm. Chicago, uh, Hopkins, you name it. So I lived in that world and that uh, really got me thinking about my own brain. Not that I thought I had a brain tumor, but I was a committed Christian. I was a pastor. You know, I practiced spiritual disciplines, read the Bible. I fasted, memorized scripture, uh, silence and solitude, all of that. And yet I still struggled with inner anxiety and worry and uh, sometimes depression. And as I began to ask that, I began to read more and more about the neuroscience uh, in the neuroscience field. I got an executive master's in the neuroscience of leadership. I got another certificate. Then I got a certificate from Johns Hopkins on mind, brain, and teaching. And over the past several years, I've expanded my education. I've expanded my learning and been writing on it because I really believe this amazing two to three pound thing called the human brain is, is, got, is this an amazing creation by God. And I feel like my call is to bring that conversation into the Christian conversation that we don't have to be afraid of the, this, the science so that we can learn to be better, you know, pastors and partners and parents and, and you name it. So that story has propelled me into my ongoing education. And in this PhD, just another opportunity for me to dig deeper into neuroscience, especially how stress affects pastors. So that's the story behind it all. Your focus is pastoral, uh, but your you know work is obviously very. Uh, I mean, it's not in a clinic, but it's clinical in the sense that it is about you know medical and um, you know neuroscience is not usually a field that we associate yeah. with the pastoral call. Right. Where I mean, where do you see? You wrote a book about this, and you don't have to give us you know the whole thing. Sure. Um, but where do you see some of the biggest intersections between what you've learned from studying neuroscience? Uh, and the you know day in day out life of a pastor because they they feel at, on the surface like very far away from each other. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the reality is every part of what we do as a pastor, from teaching to counseling to managing our own emotional world to being a parent, our brain is highly involved. Now we don't see it, we don't feel it. There aren't even any nerve nerve endings, pain nerve endings in the brain, but it profoundly impacts us. Now, that's your question there. I'm look at some of my books here. One of them that I wrote was called Brain Savvy Leaders. So I kind of touch on each one of these and kind of the general subject. Understanding how the brain works can profoundly help us pastors be better leaders. That's one. Another one called Holy Noticing. It's a Moody publication. This is on Christian mindfulness. Most of what you find out there on mindfulness is very secular oriented. And I wanted to bring something into the Christian realm with good neuroscience, good background history, good theological basis. So I wrote this book called Holy Noticing the Bible, Your Brain, and the Mindful Space Between Moments. So understanding how the brain works helps us spiritually grow and and manage some of these internal emotions that can just shut us down sometimes. If you know we've had a conflict with a board member or we get those nasty little anonymous notes <laughs> sometimes. Now, another one I wrote was every pastor's, and I'm not trying to promote my books at all. I just want to kind of give you an idea. Hey, Charles, you're here. Promote away, man. That's what <laughs> okay, I say. Well, you're, you're on the podcast. Tell us the ISBN, for goodness sake. We get some people uh, okay. to buy some books. <laughs> 
Well, another thing that can, that's profoundly helped me, and I wrote a book about it, was when I came to Canada some eight years ago, I wanted to do it right. This was probably my last full-time lead pastor role. I'm never going to quit ministering, but my last full-time lead pastor role. And so there's something called onboarding. It's basically, what do you do the first few months in a business? Onboarding is a business term primarily. What do you do the first few months to you know make your business successful and not, not tank it? So I wrote the book, Every Pastor's First 180 Days. Basically, it's a kind of a blueprint incorporating neuroscience on what do we need to do? What are the specific tasks and strategies we need to develop those first six months so that you don't go in and blow up the place or go in and and end up being really, really surprised what you you find? So that's Every Pastor's Mm -hmm. First 180 Days. The most recent one came out just a few months ago, probably... I'd say my most fun one. This one came out of uh, this uh, certificate I got from uh, Johns Hopkins on Mind, Brain, and Teaching. And I've titled it, If Jesus Gave a TED Talk, Eight Neuroscience Principles the Master Teacher Used to Persuade His Audience. Now, what this one does, I looked at the teaching styles called pedagogy. That's what the, in educational terms. Pedagogy, Jesus' pedagogy, how he taught and preached and, so, and communicated. And I looked at the latest in the neuroscience of communication. And Hopkins is in, in the leader of that. Their, uh, their doctoral programs, they have a huge doctoral program where educators come and get their EDD and they practice these uh, neuroscience techniques in the classroom. So I merged the two, how Jesus taught, with the neuroscience of learning and communication and wrote this book. And uh, in fact, they did a course, uh, an online course for pastors on how do you incorporate the teaching styles of Jesus along with the neuroscience to maximize your preaching? Because we spend, think about it, like I spend, I don't know, maybe 15 to 20 hours a week putting a message together, practicing and so forth. And all that vast time we put together, I, I did a calculation one time, it was like every year, a few thousand man years are put in by North American pastors putting messages together. But don't know if you guys have ever felt this way, but after a message, I thought, huh, what did people or what will people really remember? So anyway, that's another general subject area of how we can enhance our, our teaching, our preaching and our, our training. So those are some kind of large categories that neuroscience has informed me and can inform us to be better preachers, uh, better at managing our own emotional or better of followers of Jesus, better better parents and better partners. So that's kind of a long answer there. Charles, there's a phrase that hasn't come up yet, and I'm wondering how this phrase comes into play with what you're doing. If it's the same thing or if there's just some overlap, but you're doing something that part of it is entirely different. The phrase I'm thinking of is mental health. Oh, yes. Mental health. Is, yes. this, uh, is this the same thing or is it more how we process information kind of a little bit of a, apart from mental health where any somebody could be mentally healthy but have a number of different ways that they process information and learn yeah well no i think your your first question is it does it relate to mental health absolutely does it relate to mental health when i say managing your own emotional world I, oh, let me let me just step back a second i always qualify myself i'm not a neuroscientist i'm not a psychologist I'm primarily a pastor who has some education and training experience in understanding what's called affective neuroscience. Neuroscience, pure neuroscience is like 
you know, parts of the brain, like what is the gray matter and the white matter and the neurons. Affective neuroscience is more looking at how does the processing of the brain affect other parts of life. Affect is another word for mood or emotions. So yes, mental health pastors must pay attention to mental health. And a couple of these books, one I didn't mention was called, it's called People Pleasing Pastors, uh, Avoiding the Pitfalls of Approval Motivated Leadership, neuroscience in that one as well. So yes, it's not something different from, but very clearly overlaps mental health. Great question. Could you give me a story within your own ministry of a time where, you know, your research led you to an aha moment that like within a moment, a conversation, a practice that you have that really changed or adjusted or cast in a new light, you know, the pastoral work that you were doing something, something concrete that we could like look to and say, okay, yeah, yeah, I understand. Yes. Well, a couple of things come to mind. There's a term called interoception. I know that's a big term, but basically interoception is the ability to sense what our inner body states are telling us. There's something called the insula deep in our brain that's that's, uh, very much a part of this. And um, over the years, one of my challenges has been when somebody really disagrees with me or I sense there's a heated conversation coming or, or somebody comes up to me after a service and like they don't like what I said. One of my big aha moments is I, I understood kind of intellectually what interoception was. But as I really began to try to apply this, I came, I don't remember when it was. I came into an aha moment that, okay, as this person is maybe venting at me, one of the best things I can do right now is to be aware of what I'm feeling on the inside. And the more aware I am of that and even mentally calling that out, like, well, I'm really feeling anxious right now. I'm really feeling angry right now. It actually calms the fight flight centers of our brain. So that realization to catch that, to be aware of that has helped me so much versus the earlier on in my ministry when I would like, I'm, I'm kind of a type A personality. I could shut people down and, you know, I could, I could out logic them. But by being aware of my internal body states, it relaxes me, makes me less uh, reactive, keeps my thinking brain operating versus my fear and emotion centers from overtaking that. So that was a huge aha. Another one is this, something called emotional contagion. And, And the phrase actually kind of explains itself. Emotions are contagious. Sure, sure. And I remember one time going in to get a hamburger. I'm going to live in Aurora, uh, Illinois, outside Chicago. When this place is supposed to have good hamburgers and went in and you, you'd order a hamburger, but you also could order which size bag of fries you wanted. And this was not like a little, little bag like at McDonald's. This was like a big bag. So I ordered a medium size, which was you know, a lot of calories, but I like French fries. So I went up there and ordered them. And I noticed the guy that took my money at the cash register, he was kind of gruff, but okay, maybe a bad day. So we all, the people standing in line, we stood to the side and we were going to wait, uh, you know, for our number to be called. And I got called and I got my hamburger and my fries and I realized they gave me a, a small fry. I said, excuse me, sir, this is, I ordered a, a large fry. And he turned around, this guy that took my order, turned around and yelled at the cook back there. I think the cook yelled back at him, you know, I got to get the guy the medium fries. So I got my fries. I later realized that guy behind the cash register, owned the place. And his uh, crabby, 
attitude influenced all of his employees and influenced all those customers that never went back. That's called emotional contagion. So one of the aha moments for me was to realize that as a lead pastor, what I bring to the office, the emotion I bring, crabby, anxious, mad, is going to influence everybody else. Versus if I bring hopeful, encouraging, positive to the office, or now Zoom meetings, it can profoundly impact the tone of everybody else because people catch the emotions of their leaders. So that's couple, interoception and emotional contagion that were, I think, some aha moments for me. Jeff, you've never experienced me uh, ex- going through emotional contagion, have you, Jeff? I, in our time well, together, you've never... I'm well differentiated, Johnny. <laughs> I, I can maintain my relationship with you without having to take on all of your baggage and issues. I've learned how to do that. In oh, fact, my. you gave me a you gave me a master's course in, in I really that, did. Right? I really did. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. I, I I hope it can get you credit somewhere. So I'm wondering, Charles, in and I like what you said about, you know, what we bring in onto our team, you know, spreads as the leader. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking right now because we we talk a lot to pastors of smaller churches. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed any needs in pastors of Differing sized ministries are there are there particular set of of challenges that pastors in a church of say fifty to a hundred would find themselves dealing with, and then maybe another set of challenges to a pastor like of a church of a thousand or more. That's a really good question. Um, currently, in my PhD work, I have surveyed four, uh, almost 450 pastors of all different sized churches. These are primarily pastors in Canada. So everything is scaled down here, but still I have a set of the, what I call pastors of churches over 700, but quite a bit, the, the zero to 100. I've not dealt, I've gone deep into that, but one interesting bit of research that I have learned in my what's called my literature search, you know, kind of finding out what's currently out there mm-hmm. is yeah. that pastors of large churches tend to be less anxious than pastors of smaller churches. The reason is a pastor of a large church has staff, usually more resources to not have to be stretched in all different kinds of directions. So I think that is one factor that would be different. Another factor is uh, probably I would it would be safe to say that uh, on the whole, on the average, pastors of younger uh, of smaller churches are younger, maybe just getting into ministry, not not having as many years as those in the larger churches. Those are who are newer in ministry. There's a greater potential for them to drop out than those who are older. Part of it could be that those who are older in larger churches, they have just navigated those things that happen you know, early in ministry. When I, I was a associate pastor at some churches, and I started a church in Atlanta. And our first Sunday, we met a dance studio. We had 51. I thought, oh, that's, that's, that's pretty good. Well, let me tell you, hmm. guys, I was so successful that within six months, I worked that number down to 18. <laughs> <laughs> i never forget that Sunday. It was the July 4th weekend outside the suburb of Atlanta. And now that 18 including the kids. So there were 12 of us in the dance studio. I was the preacher. I was also the music leader. My wife was back in the back room taking care of the kids. 
that was such a shock for me. I remember I went home, our little rental home. We had a little half bath upstairs. I went upstairs to the bathroom, put the toilet seat down, got a towel, put my head in that towel and just wept and wept and wept. Failure. I, yeah. I didn't think yeah. it was going to make it. Yeah. And we teetered with failure. And then one of our offerings one Sunday was like $22 and 17 cents. <laughs> <laughs> wow! But you know, those were learning experiences for me. I could have thrown in the towel, but I don't think, well, I know, you know, the process of wisdom is through a lot of hard knocks in life and difficulties and disappointments. And I just encourage young pastors and pastors of small churches, you have an incredible role and God is, he's your source. And those times you feel like tossing in the towel Get away, take a break, find a safe friend to help you work through that. So so the original question was, I think there are clearly some differences. When I dig into this research on stress, I think I'll probably notice notice more of those differences. Well, I, that was going to be my second question was going to be uh, younger pastors versus older pastors, because this week in particular is, is full for me. And I was thinking uh, over the weekend, 15 years ago, my pace of life right now would be would have been completely overwhelming to me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. somebody said to me, uh, somebody who only sees me once every three, four months, they said to me, hey, Jeff, how you doing? Hey, I heard your last podcast episode. Man, I don't know how you find the time to do everything you do. And I looked at them and I just said, slowly. <laughs> I just slowly. I just do it slowly and it's somehow I feel like I just kind of put myself into into a, a slower pace but a consistent pace. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so I'm not like I'm not panicked, I'm not agitated. Mm-hmm. I just kind of I just have to push everything down and just yeah. have to calm myself down because I and part of it is too because I know I've gotten through it before, I'll get through it again. Right, you know, right. I've I've had funerals at short notice before, and things come up. Everything's kind of stacked up, and I just. But I could not have done that fifteen years ago. Mm-hmm. I know I couldn't have. Mm-hmm. I would have been very, very stressed out. So, so what do you have to say to younger pastors? Well, like Johnny, who's only thirty-five years old, twenty-three years. Johnny, for a while, it's going to be twenty-four years in just a few days. Younger than me, you know. How do you how do you counsel younger pastors if they're if they're just dealing with with stress and the pace of life? Well, one of your questions, two of the questions ago, was about mental health. What happens is when we're younger, or we just don't know this stuff. Like I didn't know this stuff until I started experiencing these things and, and learning these things. the The process of wisdom. And just the and just going through life is that huge, huge teacher. But I would just encourage other pastors to make it a priority to take care of yourself. That includes, of course, eating and sleeping, all those kind of things, but also taking care of your inner world. Because here's what happens: if we don't take care of our inner world, let's let me make up something here. Let's say we have 100 widgets a day of energy, 100 energy widgets. Okay, that's physical and emotional energy and so forth. When we spin out inside, when we get overly anxious, when all these inner dynamics happen, that takes away, let's just say, 25 widgets. And that anxiety did not help you move the ball forward. 
It did not help you plan your message better. It just took away your energy. So now you only have 75 widgets. Uh, whereas God would normally, you know, he gives you 100 widgets a day, energy widgets to, to work with. So the earlier a young pastor knows how to manage their inner world, their their emotional world, their mental health, the more they're going to have, the, the more they're not going to waste those energy widgets. Because what happens is there's something called rumination. And um, I'm an introvert. So uh, introverts, unfortunately, are more apt toward anxiety and giving in to stress than extroverts. But it doesn't mean that an introvert is, is just, you know, just hanging up. But something called rumination is when an event happens. Just imagine a, a seed of an apple. Okay, it's a little tiny. That is the event. Uh, you got a call from the preschool director that she's quitting. <laughs> okay, and that's that seed. But what happens in rumination is we wrap that seed with our self-talk, with our what ifs. And what happens is instead of that seed being the problem, it's now 10 times as big. And now our response, our inner response to that seed has now become the problem. And that's where all those energy widgets are, are thrown and they aren't effective. So I would say that to a young pastor is, Take care of your mental health. And let me say the one way you can do that is to get a coach. Someone that is trained, that knows how to, this is not, not a, someone's going to tell you what to do, but help you ask the right questions and walk you through some of these challenges. Along with that, even a counselor, a Christian counselor can help you deal with some of these things. The, I wish I'd done that when I started out. I didn't know any better. Nobody was telling me those kinds of things. So that's what I would say in general to young pastors. I uh, reflect often on the um, blessing that I had to uh, have my first ministry job be working with and for Jeff. Um, mm. I was 25. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine trying to go out and be a solo pastor at 25. I know it happens. Uh, God bless him. But I think I would have destroyed many churches in my wake at that rate. You talk about a coach, um, and I I would agree with that. If you are a pastor and you've never had a mentor or you've never had a coach, I was lucky enough to have a mentor. And then even in my church context I'm in right now, I, I work with um, Pastor Suzanne, and she is incredible Excellent. as a resource to go to and say, how would you deal with this? How would you, uh, you know, how could I deal with that? And I look to Jeff and Suzanne as such resources for me mm -hmm. to uh, figure things out and bounce things off of and, and even take that self-talk to and say, hey, here's a story that I'm telling myself with the, you know, preschool director quitting. What, you know, talk me out of that, yeah. <laughs> you know, in yeah. some sense, like help me see some other perspectives that maybe I'm not thinking of. So I would agree totally that if you're listening and you have not had that kind of hands-on, life-on-life um, -life connection with someone, that is something that you absolutely need. I, I cannot imagine how destructive I would have been as a pastor without, um, without Jeff and without mm -hmm. Suzanne. And Jeff is probably thinking, man, Johnny, you were plenty destructive with me. Think about it without <laughs> Jeff, for goodness sake. I wasn't thinking that at all, Johnny. Not at all. I appreciate that. <laughs> Hey Charles, you uh, you you 
help churches and church leaders uh, talk about, well, here's what I, I, here's the question I have for you. How are you personally managing yourself? And you could tell us if you use a coach or a counselor or whatever now, but how are you managing yourself when you are in a PhD program, you're pastoring a church, and you're also actively coaching and consulting with pastors and church leadership teams? That's a good question. I think one of my strengths is uh, managing my time. Uh, up to a few years ago, Sunday afternoons were like, go get a nap and just chill. Well, actually now Sunday afternoons have been probably most of the product, most productive time I uh, during my week that I have. And what I do on Sunday afternoon is I plan. I start with, you know, what, what is my call? I review my call, my my vision, my goals, then look at my schedule. And I will spend a couple of three hours just rejigging my schedule so that I can plan for how to best accomplish what God wants me to accomplish in the next two, three, three, four weeks. So that has been crucial. I've made that a priority and that's easy to push to the side. Yeah, let's go visit the hospitals or counsel with somebody or work on a sermon rather than plan. Think through how you're going to use that precious commodity called time. And what that does, that keeps me from overextending myself. Now, sometimes I do. I don't have this down perfectly. Sometimes I'll get like, oh, man, like I can't all get all this done. Because where I am, I get up early as well. What I, where I am right now is I can't go late in the evening. You know, when I, I'm how old am I now? 60, I'm 67 now. I'm just, I'm not a night person. I tell our board meeting, we do meet at night that my brain turns off at about about eight. I just become a pumpkin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I try to stop, pretty much stop five to five thirty. And when I stop at five to five thirty, I've already done my exercise. That's important. I've already had my quiet time and my mindfulness practice. And I feel like I've accomplished what I need to accomplish. So that's probably one of the biggest things that has helped me. And sometimes you just have to say no to things. That's and that's hard to do, but Say no. Saying no is hard to do. I think it's especially hard to do for pastors. We can convince ourselves all of the work is so important that we, you know, can't say no to any of it. So I think that's a, a good um, word of encouragement, Charles. I find myself thinking about your book about the first hundred and eighty days, mm-hmm. um, and I think uh, about all the pastors who have blown past hundred and eighty days and are in year two and a half and are feeling like, oh my gosh. I wish I had read a book about the first 180 days. Yeah. Uh, again, this is an area where I am grateful to Jeff because he once told me the two most important things in ministry are how you start and how you finish because mm-hmm. that you're going to set the tone and then you're going to set how you're going to be remembered. And I'm super grateful for that. I, I keep that in mind. Well, I'm not finishing anything, but I kept that in mind when I was finishing at Dover and I kept it in mind when I was beginning my last job. Uh, and so I want to hear to somebody who's at like two and a half years, is there like a reboot that they can do? Like, what is a way, what is a reboot for them to start over? You can't start over everything, but how can they mentally maybe start to make some new decisions? What are some of the principles that you have in that book that might be encouraging to a pastor who would like to get a second chance (laughs) at their first 180 days? Well, actually, uh, the book is designed so that you can adapt it. Ideally, you start before you start a new ministry. But even though you've been in one for a while, you can actually adapt this and you can pretend like it is a new a new start. But of course, like you said, you can't reboot everything. But there, are, I'll just kind of read the, the contents of the chapters. Uh, and, and these are built around some, some acronyms, easy to remember, but I'll just read these out. 
prioritize self and family care. That's where that mental health thing comes from. Avidly over communicate and listen and learn. That's one of the best things I did when I came here to West Park Church uh, in London. I I just listened, 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 and I over communicated. You know, we communicate like on Sunday morning. Let's say announcements. We communicate announcements like, oh, I'm so tired of saying this over and over again. We live in the 24-7 world of that. Most people hardly catch it. You have to kind of keep repeating. Third one is manage change wisely. Uh, there may be pastors listening to this that are like, I need to make a change. There's some suggestions on how to do that. Uh, start early. Avoid common pitfalls. I list some common uh, pitfalls. Define reality. Someone once said, well, several people have said this. The first job of a leader is to define reality. So if you're two and a half years in, mm. maybe this is where you need to start. Define reality. Develop a game plan. Lead your team. Establish trust. And this is so crucial. And the reality is trust uh, is slowly built and quickly, quickly lost. So mm. I've got this template in, and there's some things that you can download uh, as, as well, some tools that kind of can help you do that. But that's, that's basic. Those are basically the, the, the contents of the book. Each chapter deals with a particular component. So to answer your question, yes, no matter how far along you are, if you need to reboot, this is a guide that can, I think it can help every pastor. It's what I did. And I pulled in a lot of some of the secular learnings from onboarding, pulled it together from biblical perspective. And it, it's, it was very, very helpful for me. As I, you know, as I listen to that, I think I find myself imagining a, a situation where, you know, you could have a pastor and they're bored that they are dealing with and a year and a half, two years, three years in things have, you know, devolved as yeah. sometimes those relationships do. And I almost wonder, you know, about sitting down uh, with the board and having a real frank conversation about hoping to reset, you know, the relational situation and owning up where you have mm -hmm. yourself, you know, um, harbored resentments where you yourself have, uh, what you call it, ruminated mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, created issues, uh, where there weren't any, uh, and commit, you know, yourself and together to, to something new. I, I just wonder if someone listening could, uh, use that, uh, and use this as an opportunity to do that. And maybe even, you know, use some of your resources there with, their board, because in my estimation, Jeff, you could correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I think so many issues that small church pastors face are relational issues with leadership individuals in their congregations. Not all of those can be rescued. Not everybody wants yep. to have good relationships with their pastors, but I mean, we sure we sure can try. I, would you agree with that, Jeff? That that's a I mean, a lot of the stress. And maybe Charles, you're smarter than Jeff. Uh, would you agree that a lot of the struggle and the trial is, you know, now, through those now relational hold on. interactions? Hold on just a cotton picking minute here. Wait, can, no, I'm just saying, I'm just, you know. <laughs> well, you know, we always say it's all about relationships. And yeah. I've always believed that. So go ahead, Charles. Absolutely. It's it, the three relationships, the relationship with God, the relationship with with others and the relationship with ourselves. And that is, that is one that we need to look at as well. Like, do we see ourselves as less than like, Oh man, I just, how can God love me? Or do I see myself as a narcissist? That's really, really bad. So I totally agree with what you're saying. Relationships are, are so, so key. 
Charles, if I wanted you to coach me, would you? <laughs> well, uh, I, I may have to say no because I'm working on my PhD. <laughs> Come on, Charles. It's time management. Just find the space for me in your life. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I, I'll send you one of, one of my books and let that be the coaching. Oh, that is so that That's is a, so wrong. I love it. That's a cop out. That's a great it's a great answer, Charles. That, That's a great answer. It, it, it's a great answer and it's a it's a great statement to end. He just said you have to say no sometimes, to, Jeff. To end our you let episode. him give us all a master class on a no, yeah, on how you say no, even in an awkward situation. <laughs> that was funny. But this is a serious question. In three or four years, will you be coaching pastors as part of what oh. you do? Oh, absolutely! It is really a part of what I do. I've, that's so my, I can get on the list. list. You, yeah, you can get on the list, right? You just send me a Chick Fil A, and uh... hey, no problem, man, no problem. I love I'll doing that. I put you that. at the top of the list. Do they have a Chick Fil A in London, Ontario? No, it's it's up toward Toronto, so don't get to get Chick Fil A. So. Okay, okay. Well, hey, Bummer. Charles, your your website is charlesstone.com. Right, two um, S's in there. Yes, Charles Stone, and uh, there's uh, man, there's a lot of good stuff on here. In fact, the certificates that you've gotten, uh, I've I've not uh, to be honest with you, I've not even heard of those kinds of things. And so I went to those uh, different educational institutions and and just bumped around. I'm finishing. I'm in my last year of a doctor of ministry degree, mm-hmm. so I'm really not. You know, I don't have any business even looking at that. But uh, good for the future. Good to know for yes. the future. That you don't have to take a whole nother degree program, no, but you uh-uh. can get significant teaching in those certificate programs. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Charles, we hope to have you back Love in the to. future, and uh, just want to encourage people to go to charlesstone.com. Uh, avail yourself of these books because what I appreciate, Charles, is that you have you have been in ministry for forty years, so these these books are written. Out of the context, out of the soil of of pastoral ministry, yes, which which makes them different, and I think makes them better suited uh, communicating with pastors. So, mm-hmm. hey, thanks mm-hmm. for joining us, Charles. Great to be with you guys, Johnny Charles Stone. I liked his deep baritone voice. I kept thinking, man, this guy has got such a radio voice and such a radio name. It's like the Charles Stone <laughs> Radio Hour. Like, oh my gosh, like. He is uh, he is everything I could never be, Jeff, in so many ways. We'll be right back with more Charles Stone. Exactly, exactly right. Yeah. Boy, how had... shallow how shallow are we that we're talking about the guy's voice <laughs> after that great episode? Uh, well, we I was so just about shallow. to say. I was just about to say that he uh, he has lived a lot of ministry life, man, and he has really uh learned a lot and obviously really thrown himself into researching and studying this whole neuroscience side of ministry which is not even something that I think I would have ever put together as a sentence and yet here we are and he is I, I think really doing a great job of making these principles accessible to pastors you know like everyday ministry people uh how can you actually learn something from neuroscience that will actually change what you're doing right now and how you're responding right now in your ministry, which is really cool. Well, I'm wondering how many pastors listened uh, to this episode who are really interested in this whole field to go to charlestone.com and look at his certificates, look at the uh, further education he's got, some of the seminars and programs that he's taken at these different schools. You might be interested in that because they are relatively inexpensive. 
They may fit into your continuing education budget. And I don't think it's like you have to have, you may only, you may not even need a college degree to do these. I don't know. Um, Because the one I sent an email and I inquired uh, as to get involved in it. And they just said, uh, well, you don't actually have, you just have to take, once you've taken all eight of the courses and you have to sign up for them individually, once you take all eight courses, you get the certificate for this particular um, designation. So I thought, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. You can kind of go at your own pace yeah, and pay as you go. I also think if you're interested in, in the stuff that we talked about and how neuroscience, you know, impacts ministry and things like that. I think the book, the book he talked about the, if Jesus gave a Ted talk, like eight neuroscience principles, I think that would probably be a great jumping off point for just somebody who is not sure about taking a uh, cohort yet, or, you know, joining a continuing education system yet, but who just wants to understand a little deeper, some of these things. Uh, I think that sounds like a really quick read, but a, probably a very, very helpful read for folks. What I liked about this guy is he's nine years ahead of me. Yeah. And uh, in about four years, if he's going to be coaching pastors, he would be a guy that I would go to because here he is 67 years old and he doesn't sound like he's slowing down at all. He sounds no. like he's actually ramping up and doing some of the very things that you know I hope I can do and continue to contribute to ministry because I don't see absolutely after the age of 70, I don't see senior pastor as necessarily good for the church. Sure. You know, yeah. I, I think I think a lot of pastors like to think that, you know, they're still good. And maybe they're they're fine doing it, but I don't think that that builds, you know, younger leadership. It doesn't really right. reach down. Like I would still like to be involved on a church staff and involved in ministry, but I don't I don't need to be the top person because somebody else, a younger leader with more energy who's going to who's going to be around for longer. I right. think should be doing that. So it sounds like that's where he's where he's at, and uh, I would I would love to hear hear some of his uh, wisdom on that. Well, Jeff, call him up in three years when he's done with his PhD and get him to get him to say yes to coaching you this time. It was seeing your face crestfallen when Charles rejected <laughs> you for his coaching. It was uh, it was quite a sight. So I'm so I'm sorry, Jeff, that that happened to you that you had experienced that loss today. <laughs> you could you could tell I was nonplussed by his response <laughs> with my crestfallen uh demeanor. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, hey Jeff, up at the front end of this podcast, we uh we called it episode 370. So just this is if you've made it this far in the episode, now you know we're done with seasons, man. We're not doing them anymore. It's just a straight through. We're old school podcasters, Jeff. When we started podcasting, there was no seasons. Seasons. What is seasons? Yeah, but, was- but we tried it. We tried it, but the truth is, we didn't really know what we we're doing. We didn't know. Look, guys, you you don't come to us for cool, uh, relevant podcasting. You come to us for episode 370. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't care about seasons. Give me a break. So, yeah, well, we're back to our numbers, Jeff, and it feels good. So I was going through my my plethora of resources in my home office the other day, and I came across this podcasting manual mm. that you know, I mean, we've been doing this for nine years, so I, I don't I don't really need it, but I thought I, I can always learn something, so I kind of flipped through it, and it talked about how to strategically use seasons in podcasting. Oh, and I thought, well, yeah, well, we did the season thing, but after three hundred and fifty episodes, we did season two. And I was like, okay, I don't know why we did that. 
And so I, I thought, okay, since we're not strategically doing it, we were just doing it kind of like you know a refresh, put the re- push the reset button, yeah. you know, let's uh, let's go in a, a broader direction or a more specific direction, whatever it was at the time. It was probably a year and a half, almost two years ago. Uh, but now, w- w- what I did is I just counted them all up. We're at three hundred. We've done three hundred and seventy episodes with this one. So that's a whole lot easier, and and then it's just easier. It's easier to write out. It's easier to to document. It's easier to yes. reference back to. So that's what we're gonna do. That's where. Thanks we're for at. mentioning that. I forgot. Yeah. Well, I mention it, and uh, and then I will shut us down by saying thank you to our listeners. If you uh, are interested in any more of these conversations, go to charlesstone.com. You can check out his books. If you uh, listen to this and heard me talking about. You know how you could use a mentor or a coach and you thought yeah that sounds uh, like something I could use you can always check out our friend Dave Jacobs who does a lot of coaching with small church pastors uh, and uh, we have other resources as well so if you don't even know where to start with that you can always just email Jeff don't email me uh, you can always email Jeff and he can point you to the resources uh, that could get you started on that path anyway, what's my email so address Johnny it's Jeff the normal way J-E-F-F none of this G-off stuff J-E-F-F at 200churches.com. You know, recently I was doing speech to text on my iPhone. Yes. And I said, new paragraph, thanks so much, comma, new paragraph, Jeff. I looked down at it. It did not. It's, it did. G E O F F. That tells you who's buying iPhones right there. I'm the that owner. That is all you need to know about who is buying iPhones. <laughs> I'm the owner of this iPhone. I'm Jeff, J E F F. And it did it, it does that. So I I don't know. I, maybe there's a way to go in and change that, but you know, oh, I'm good word. with it. I changed it anyway. Johnny, thanks. It was great to be with you today. Thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next week on the 200 Churches podcast. <laughs>